Welcome to Positively Dad. My name's James Shaw. I'm your host. I'm a dad. My wife, Terry, and I have a second grader, almost eight-year-old. Her name is Naomi. And I started Positively Dad podcast on March 1st of this year to be a resource for dads. And I trust we're doing that for you. We're in the last couple of days of 2019. And as I've reflected on the year and all the conversations we had, I thought, you know, we should do some encore episodes to help our listeners get focused as we enter 2020. Who are the people that we talk to that could really help you grow as a parent or a partner or a person? And you could learn something from them as you get ready for a new year and have big goals for you. So today we're going to do that. It's the third of our Encore episodes. We're doing it all the way up through the end of the year. And today we're going to talk to a gentleman named Dwyer Brown. Now You may not have heard of him. I don't know. I promise, though, you know him. I promise that you've seen him and you just don't realize it. Dwyer Brown was in a movie called The Field of Dreams. You've probably seen it. And he plays the father at the end who plays catch with Ray Kinsella. Well, he wrote a book, and that book is all about the people that he's met, um, you know, since the movie's been out, who come up and talk with him about their relationships with their fathers. Because if you know the movie, you know that it... They didn't really have a relationship. They had this chance there at the end to play catch together and just what a cool moment. And so he would have people come up and talk with him about their relationship from their dads. And he wrote this book and and he talks about the relationship with his dad and what he's learned from these other stories. And it's just such great things for us to think about as fathers so that we can be completely present with our kids. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go into our Encore episode with Dwyer Brown, who plays the dad in Field of Dreams. Dwyer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you. And your book is called If You Build It. And I feel like as I read it, I went through and it just, it had to almost feel like a calling to kind of tell your story and tell the stories of random people who've come up and talked to you. So talk with us a little bit about how this book came about. Well, um, I had always wanted to write a book, and I had kind of not done it because I didn't think I had anything worth talking about, to be honest. I sort of hoped that James Earl or Kevin would write a book about the movie because it had such a profound effect on me. And my assumption was that they were also having people come up to them everywhere they went and tell them these amazing stories about how that movie changed their lives. and. When I began to think about it, I realized, well, if you run into Kevin Costner on the street or James Earl, you're gonna you have you have a dozen movies to talk to him about. You know, you can say, uh, you know, Darth Vader. How was that like? And you know, and and I realized that for me, this is the movie that people recognize me for. Even if I've done you know 40 or 50 other ones, this is this is the one that seems to be tattooed on the back of people's you know optic nerve. I think because of the beautiful job Kevin and, and James and Tim Busfield and Frank Whaley did in opening everyone's heart. And then I sort of just take off this catcher's mask and walk right into people's hearts, you know, in this, you know, if you saw it in the movie theaters, you know, I'm, I'm my face is 20, 40 feet high. And so I think it, 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 I was surprised over the years, how many people remembered my tiny part in that movie. Anyway, I, I thought, well, gosh, maybe this is a story I can tell uniquely because, you know, like I said, I'm I'm the guy that kind of gets the gets these stories. So I just started writing down. I had taken some notes over the years of some of these amazing encounters that I'd had with people, and so I just started writing them. And then that made me think about my dad, who, you know, had 
died unexpectedly 36 days before I went to go shoot that movie. And that suddenly seems very, uh, you know, touching and, 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 and almost fateful, uh, in, in my life. And, uh, and then, and then of course I had such a great time shooting that movie. I think we all did. I mean, I grew up on a farm in Ohio, so it felt like home to me. And for the other people who were from the coast or whatever, they were so bored <laughs> out there in the middle of nowhere that we, we just had so much fun. I mean, the art department started a bowling league, so we would all go after shooting to a bowling alley. We, they made us bowling shirts that say Shoeless Joe Bowling Team on the back, and we all had fake bowling names. Mine was Lou, and I, you know, I still have that bowling shirt. And, and then we'd go to the dog tracks. I mean, who knew that they had greyhound racing in, in Dubuque, Iowa, but we would go there and bet on dogs and then go to the bars in Iowa until two in the morning when they closed. And then you could just cross the Mississippi into Illinois, into East Dubuque, where the bars got to stay open until four because of Al Capone and all that. Anyway, there was just hmm. so much fun shooting the movie. We were, you know, playing ball on the field when there was a break in the action and, and, you know, everybody was just, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a fun shoot. I thought, even though it was a very difficult shoot physically, mainly because of the drought that was happening and the fact mm -hmm. that the corn wouldn't, the corn wouldn't grow. But anyway, that's sort of how it all came together. I started putting together everything I could think of about the movie, about my life, about my relationship with baseball. And, and, um, I just wrote basically for two and a half years, just, you know, you know, in the middle of the night, I would get up and, and write. And then I realized I'd kind of exhausted every bit of, uh, material I had. And then it was about organizing it in a way that, that, that was compelling as a, you know, for, for a reader. So that's sort of the genesis of the book. Well, you've done an amazing job with it. And uh, as I said to you, uh, you know, before we started talking was that if, if, if you have a dad, you should read the book. And because, you know, whether it's a great relationship with your dad or a not so great relationship for your dad, the, the movie touched people. This book is going to touch people because you dive into your relationship with your dad, which, you know, was fascinating, right? You talk about it and, and, and I learned a lot from that. You talk about just random people coming up to you and telling you their experiences. I mean, it just seems like a short five minute scene has had a massive impact on people all over the world. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's one of the things that I found kind of profound, too, is that I've had both those types of people come up to me, ones whose dad never played catch with them, you know, for whatever reason, you know, and there's a million reasons. And and others whose dad played catch with them every night would come home from the office and, you know, throw their tie over their shoulder and, and, and play catch until, you know, it was too dark to see. And both of them can come up to me separately and have tears in their eyes about the regrets they had or about just missing their dad who was so involved in their lives. Right. And, uh, to me, that's, that's pretty profound. It, 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 you know, getting the sort of almost a similar emotional reaction, but from an opposite experience. And, and what I learned, uh, about my dad, who was, I mean, he was a great dad and I always felt as a child. And I think it's always interesting how children can feel subtle energies even if they can't put words to them or 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 explain them but my dad was involved with us in boy scouts and indian guides and you know having us you know build stuff and but there was a certain feeling that he was doing it 
like with a sense of anger and a sort of, uh, you know, I'll show you kind of attitude. And I, I could never, as a child, of course, I can't, I don't know where that's coming from. But this is a, you know, a subtle thing that's in the back of my mind. And it was only when I took a road trip with my dad with the intent, with the uh, a purpose of kind of probing him about his dad. I know that he'd had a difficult childhood, but my it, it, that generation of people, my dad was a Depression era, World War II veteran person. They were very stoic and they particularly didn't talk about bad things in the family. I think the, the the common wisdom at the time was that if if I tell my kid that my dad was not a good dad, then he'll just feel bad about himself or, you know, it'll make it happen again or something like that. So on this road trip, I started talking to my dad and he, I was just asking him a bunch of questions of, you know, his first jobs, stuff I knew the answers to, to kind of soften him up a little. And, mm-hmm. but when I asked about his dad, he, it got really quiet. I'm in this tiny little, my parents' Chevette car. I'm driving down the road and, and suddenly my dad says, well, you know, my dad, you know, he, he was a banker. My grandfather was, was a fairly rich man, but he would make my father come to the bank and beg for five cents so that his family could, you know, so that his brothers and sisters could buy bread. And my dad started crying and I'd never seen my dad cry in my life. And here he is, you know, 65 years old and I'm making him cry by making him recount these stories. You know, my, my grandfather wanted a divorce from my grandmother and used the kids to manipulate them by not giving them the money. He would say, you know, Hey, if you give me a divorce, then I'll take care of you. But anyway, I had no idea about this. This is just something that came out in this moment when I'm in this long road trip with my dad. And suddenly it made such sense to me, you know, this attitude of, of defiance that my dad had, even though he was a great father, it was fueled by, you know, him looking up to his dad in heaven or whatever and saying, okay, dad, I'll show you how to be a good dad. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a part of every childhood interaction I had with him. And, as much as it was all the things he did was beautiful. If that emotion doesn't come out, you know what I mean? Like it, it, I, I felt it, even though I didn't know what, what it was that I was feeling. And so, you know, to me, it's very important to process that information about your dad, whether it's good or bad. And I guess writing the book was an attempt to get people to jog that memory a little and, come to terms in their own adult way with what happened to them as a child, you know, and it's what happens to me in restaurants and grocery stores and airports when somebody sees me and they, they, maybe they don't even know why, but they, they see me and they start tearing up and they come up Mm -hmm. to me and say, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I, you know, I I want that hug that my dad never gave me, or I, I need to tell you how great my dad was because nobody ever asked me. And, I didn't know it when I was younger, but now I know it and I need to tell somebody and, you know, here I am, you know, the, the, the iconic dad from this movie. And I feel it's my duty, you know, to myself, to my own father, to listen to them, to take in what they want to tell me so that they can be freed from their own kind of emotional bondage from, you know, whether it was good, bad, or otherwise from their fathers. What I love about that scene is the, ability to think about what your father was like when he was young 
and and I, oh, you know, with, with his whole world in front of him to, to look and, and, you know, I, you know, and to watch the movie and have a guy who's younger than me, you look at him and go, wow, this is my dad when he was younger than me. Like how cool would it be oh. to know him? Right. And, and to interact and see him. And so I, I imagine I you hear it. stuff like that. And, and then you also hear like, you're talking about people that never even got the hug. I mean, it's just gotta be amazing. The stories you hear. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. I sort of never know what's coming. You know, it's like an improv or like it's a, you know, I feel like a priest who's kind of doing a traveling confessional. You know, I don't know what <laughs> story is going to come. Sometimes people are crying and I, I really don't know if they're going to say my dad, you know, was abusive or I miss my dad so much. You know, I, it, it, the, the, the feeling looks the same until you get the story. And um, yeah, it really is it really is just kind of, kind of striking. I mean, the first few times I was just on my heels. I had no idea mm-hmm. why these people were, you know, crying on my shoulders. And, and, you know, I'm, I've always, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in this household where there was very little emotion uh, expressed, you know, you, you, you know, my dad would always, you know, uh, if you, if you, if you're going to cry, I'll give you something to cry about that kind of, you know, thing. And, and, and so, I think my pursuit of being an actor was really so that I could learn how to come to grips with my own emotions that were happening. And, and in that way, I feel like I've, I've sort of finished my father's purpose in life for him in a way he, he, he got better at expressing himself, but you know, it was a fearful thing for him because his, his father had used it against him, you know? And if I can kind of heal that for him in my life, then I can pass on a better thing to, to my kids, you know? And um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's been a, just a very, very interesting ride. And I've, I've, I've certainly gotten a little more used to kind of not knowing where the story's going to go and, and, and what, what people might say to me, but I, I find it all very fascinating and hopefully it's as cathartic for them as it is for me. Well, and as you give the recollections of these conversations in your book, what I noticed was you do a really good job of just asking them questions like, oh, that must have been tough or something. I mean, it seems like if someone came up to you and you have the space and the time to be able to talk with them, you're going to talk with them. And and I imagine that the impact on your life has been huge in that. Yeah, it really has. I mean, I that was, of course, not my intention. You know, in writing the book, I, I really was trying to satisfy a personal the goal that I had for myself and I couldn't have known that it would have the same effect in a lot of ways that the movie had in that it shakes loose this stuff. And, and what's nice if I happen to be there is that it, it doesn't just have to kind of just be left hanging open. You know, I can sometimes kind of do a little, you know, clearing and, 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 and hopefully offer a little, kind of support, even though I'm a stranger and, you know, um, and yet everyone think, feels connected to you. I mean, that's the thing. Right. It's, you're this, this stranger. And yet, you know, you look at the, the picture that's on the cover or watch the scene. And ev- I think every person looks at you and sees their dad here. I'm reading this book on a flight home yesterday to prepare for today. And I, I message my wife and I go, I'm the guy crying on the airplane. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the book and, you know, it's like watching the movie. Here's a thing that stood out to me and I, I, I'm, I'm curious about, which is, you know, and you talk a little bit about this in the book, that that scene took about, what, two weeks to film because you're doing it at sunset and there's only so many, you know, available minutes to do all the stuff and different shots needed and things like that. Um, I'm wondering, though, if, if, if you... And um, and Kevin Costner, if you recognized the power in that moment, 
when when Ray says, you know, do you want to have a catch? And you say, I'd like that. I, I mean, was there any sense of the power of those two lines and what that would have in people's lives? Or were you surprised when you went out and saw the movie and saw the reaction? Well, I think both of those things are true. I, 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 Kevin is a very savvy storyteller, as, as witnessed by so many great movies that he's, you know, produced and co-written and directed. He, and you know, I, I was also aware that this was, you know, this was a big moment. And but I also think that we realized, because we shot it over a period of two weeks, I think we also realized how the more significance as we shot it. You know, we started at the beginning of the scene naturally and, 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 you know, where it's a little bit cagey, you know, the, the two characters, Ray and John aren't, you know, maybe aren't sure who each other is or, or what, or what the other person knows about them. And, you know, but because the, because the way we shot it, as I said in the book was, uh, you know, they'd be shooting some other scene and it got close to sunset. They'd call everybody out into the, onto the baseball field and they would start setting up the dolly track or the, you know, bounce boards or anything we needed for this shot that day. And we'd do that every day for two weeks. Well, after we'd shot it a few times and, and kind of created this very tenuous relationship, you know, usually movie sets can be pretty, you know, jokey and, and everybody's kind of busy, but they're, you know, having a good time it got very quiet when we came out onto the field every day. Cause I think people started to realize, Oh, wow, this is, this is a little bit heavy. These actors are kind of, you know, really doing, being serious about this. And so, you know, and Kevin, and I would talk between scenes and, 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 you know, just talk about nuances and all that kind of stuff. But I think the the intensity built as the scene went on, as we were shooting it, because I think everybody on the crew had their own, dad issues and you know good and bad and it, it made them a little more um respectful and 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 uh you know honoring what we were trying to do on the on the scene now when i finished the movie you know it, it takes me a year basically usually to to edit things i went on in my life and we had a casting casting crew screening you know a couple of days before the movie's released was typical and we were at uh warner hollywood studios in in uh you know, downtown Hollywood and all of us were there and everybody's joking when they come in. Cause you haven't seen these people for a year. The cast and crew is all there. It's just a special screening for them to kind of show what movie's going to be out in the next couple of days. And, uh, you know, usually the people are joking about little things that happen on the set. You see a scene and you remind it, Oh my gosh, he forgot to paint that, you know, the wall in the back or some stupid thing, but it got very quiet again once the movie started going. And, we were all, by the end of the movie, we were all crying, you know, and, and here's the movie we shot. We knew all the intricacies we've seen behind the curtain, you know, there, we were all flummoxed and, and just blown away by, by this movie. You know, I, I hadn't fully understood how important the father role was in it, when we were shooting it, because I was familiar with the book, Shoeless Joe, that it was based on. And in that, in, in the, in the novella, the father appears pretty early in the show and he kind of has a gen, you know, general kind of ghosty conversation with, with Ray throughout the book. So there isn't this final uh, reveal of him. And so that was a profound change that, that Phil Robinson brilliantly made. And it gave obviously added significance to the mm -hmm. father because, you know, if you build it, he will come. Everybody thinking was shoeless Joe, but in the end, you know, Ray's gift for all his work 
uh, was that he got this chance to patch up this relationship with his dad. And I hadn't fully understood the the gravity of that, you know, that reckoning was coming at the end of the movie. So it was a surprise to me and to everyone else. I mean, I think back on it. It's like, how did I not see that? But I think a lot of it had to do with the, the brilliant, score that uh, James Horner put to the movie that kind of, it's like a storm rumbling across the prairie and it hits you, the waterworks hit you right there at the end and, uh, you know, it's uh, it was really just much more profound than I had imagined. Yeah, I, I bet. And here it is 30 years later and we're still talking about it. And and now they're going to play a Major League Baseball game on that site next year. I mean, just it's just fascinating the impact that this film has had on people in America and across the world. So I, I, yeah. I want to switch gears as we, you know, just for the last little bit here. And you and your wife, I think, have two kids, right? That's right. Yeah, so you have two children, and and um, and then you've had, you know, who knows how many conversations with people who come up and talk to you about their dads or their stories, and you give some amazing ones in the book. And that's, you know, I'm every one of those, I've some uh, toward the end, I'm like, I'm going to skip that. I don't feel like crying again today. Um, and yet all of them are, 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 are touching. Um, and, uh, you know, we're hearing about forgiveness and just, and, and, and grief and, and also joy. I mean, so many things. So I'm curious as a dad yourself and these conversations that you've had with others, what have you learned about fatherhood that you think the dads who are listening to this should know about? Oh boy. I mean, gosh, I think parenting and maybe particularly fatherhood is just one of the most difficult and underappreciated jobs out there. I wish I could tell you that I've arrived at some profound secret to fathering. Um, Despite all this, I think it's one of those unusual jobs that you never know if you did a good job until it's too late to do anything about it. You know, so you're kind of working blind, I think, for most of it. You you get little hints if your kid, you know, is embraces school or is successful as an athlete or whatever, but even that is no guarantee and it's you feel so responsible for this little person that you've created that you want them to be happy, you want them to be successful, you want them to be better than you are. You know, that's all our goals, right? Is to how can we make children who are going to fix the damage we've done to, you know, the world and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And we certainly put a lot of expectations on them and you try not to let them feel those expectations, but you have them nonetheless, you know, Um, I guess, you know, I certainly, I think as a father, we tend to correct, sort of, we do this in life with everything, but we tend to try to correct the things that we felt were lacking, you know, so I certainly don't let my son go very many days without me hugging him, telling him I love him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in college now, so that's not as easy, but that was the thing that I think I wish I had more from my dad. Now, I, of course I know my dad loved me, but you know, like, I mean, there's a quote in the book where I say, you know, a mother's love is free but you have to earn your dad's love, you know, and I think that's true for so many of us. It's, there's always this haunting father in the background who's watching us and, you know, 
it's not just it's not just a slam dunk. I mean, hopefully he loves you unconditionally, but at the same time, I think the father holds that kind of authority figure where he's the guy that, I mean, you know, certainly when I was a kid, it was wait till your father gets home, you know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, there was reckoning, reckoning to be had with dad. And, um, so I think it, 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 it's a difficult, difficult relationship because I don't know, men, we have expectations of other men, you know, I mean, like you were saying that, that brilliant idea of having, getting to meet your father as a young man when he's your age you know like would we be friends would we hang out would we like each other you know because we're you know we we have the same blood in our veins or or would we clash because we have the same blood in our veins you know it's it's a fascinating concept and and you know i think it's (laughs) the reason they put it in at the end of the movie and it doesn't happen for too long is it opens a lot more uh you know questions than it answers I bet. And, and yeah. And, and in this case, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, you, you really, you really lead with love, I think when you're parenting and, uh, I feel like there's things I wish I had done better with my son and my daughter and, uh, and other ones that I think like, wow, I really instilled in them a love of nature. And, yeah. and mostly it's because, those moments were when I was being myself. I love nature. So when I took them to nature, they could feel that, you know what I mean? So, and you know, with, with sports, my son avoided any sport that I could possibly help him at all in. That was just the dynamic. You know, it was very frustrating for me. I wanted him, you know, I wanted him to play baseball and basketball and, you know, and help coach him and do all those things, but he needed to be his own man. And he wanted to pick a sport that I was not, I couldn't really coach him in, you know, which and he ended up being a very good volleyball player, but you know, I, I didn't know that much about volleyball and I had to, I had to relinquish that dream of mine to help mm-hmm. him. And I think that's something that's difficult for us. We have a plan where as, as men, we want to, okay, we're going to do this and I'm going to have this kind of thing. And life in general is a big improv in my experience. Mm-hmm. And certainly, par- certainly parenting is, and I think you have to have a plan and you have to be willing to let go of that plan. And that to me is, part of being an adult and being a good parent and even being a successful person is you can't be too rigid, but you can't be too flexible either. So I, like I said, I think it's a very, uh, it's a very dicey little, uh, little endeavor that we, that we call parenting because, uh, it's, it's, there's no hard, fast rules of this is what works. And if you do this, your kid's going to end up happy, healthy, wealthy, and loving their parents, you know? Sometimes well, we do the best to, we uh, can. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, you know, you, sometimes you, you have to be the bad guy and you don't want to be the bad guy. They don't know that. Someday when they're parents, they will see, oh, my gosh, well, what yeah. if I have to be a jerk here because otherwise my kid is going to get out of control or start to think that the world is, you know, is their oyster and, and the rest of us don't matter. And it's yeah. it's not easy to do that, you know. Okay, so, two questions <laughs> as we two questions okay. as we wrap I have two questions as we wrap up. And that's. Number uh, the the first one is just as you did. I, I, it sounds like you would say if things aren't you know exactly where you want it to be with with your dad or or you'd like it to be better, pursue that relationship. I mean, you did that with your dad. You talk about it, especially after he had retired. Like you really pursued that. You hugged him. You told him you loved him. You spent time together, and that paid off for you. Um, and we don't need to get into all of it. They can read the book and learn that. 
So, you know, what would you say to somebody who just, they do feel a disconnect to really pursue that relationship with their father if they can? Well, again, that's another tenuous little thing because some fathers are more open to it than others. But I think that the reason we have regrets in relationship is when we, it, we, you know, we regret things we didn't do. We don't regret things we, we did for the most part. And, you know, gosh, if any of you know, I mean, my dad died at 67. I, he had planned to live much longer than that. You know, I had planned for him to live much longer than that. But he died in a flash. And that's true for all of us. So I try to pursue it in all my relationships is just don't try not to have regrets. If, if, if there's any chance that your sister or your daughter or your son doesn't know that you love them, you know, you got to tell them that, you know, and if, if you have a question about why they act a certain way, you know, you, you know that you potentially you're going to, you know, run into a, you know, a flamethrower of emotion. If you're, if, if your parent has an issue with something, they probably had it for 50 years. So it's not like it's just going to go away. And that's where, with my dad, after he started crying, I thought, what the hell am I doing? You know, why did I make this man cry, this man who loved me and, and raised me? But I can tell you now that I am so grateful to understand that, you know, because it gives me yeah. so much more sympathy towards my dad. I mean, like, of course, you know, of course, this man was like abused as a child. Right. And yet he became this great father to me. And if I didn't know that, if I didn't understand, if I didn't understand that. Yeah. I would judge him more harshly because of a lack of knowledge, you know? Right. And for the most part, parents don't want to share their heartbreaks. Nobody wants to share their heartbreaks with other people, you know? Uh, and, but they are what make us who we are. And them sharing it helps them. Them sharing it helps me, us, you know? It's, it's a win-win, but it, it isn't easy. Or it isn't pretty mm -hmm. frequently, but it's, it's really, uh, it's really important, I think, for you to clear that stuff. I mean, those emotions don't just go away. They become cancer. They become illness, you know, when we mm -hmm. stuff it so long, you know. Well, that's Which what I got. Me, go ahead. I'm sorry, please. The, the, the one last thing I, I, I just realized about parenting is I think, you know, like I said, you improv, you have to do both be tough guy and be soft guy. You have to be good cop and bad cop. But I think the other thing that I think we don't think we can do as parents is apologize. You know, if, if you, if you've made a mistake or gotten the wrong information or maybe uh, punished too hard for something, there, it's always, that, that's another lesson of the movie is there's always a second chance. And I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of that movie. You know, yeah. you, you can always have a second chance. And I, I, I believe that's true. Even if your father is dead and gone, well, you had stories of that. I mean, people came up and yeah. told you that seeing this film and, and watching that interaction gave them the power to have that conversation with their dad in some way. And and if they needed to forgive, they did. And um, I mean, the, so, yes, that the you've you've seen that firsthand. Yeah. And I think, like I said, you can have the, the, the feelings. Your father is inside you for the most part. You know, he may still be if you're lucky. He's still outside you as well. And, and but he his his imprint is inside you and that's something you can change. You can cut them some slack in retrospect and you can, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt on certain things that were mistakes and, and maybe even, you know, try to convince yourself that, you know, they, they knew that what they did was wrong and, and those things. And, you know, cause it, it's affecting your life. If they're right. gone, they're gone, you know, 
And I think right, you're holding on to it now. And, and, yeah. and, you know, the two, as the two brothers from Boston told you, right, that, I mean, they did, they had to <laughs> forgive their dad and they did forgive their dad. And it was because they saw the scene in, <clears throat> excuse me, they saw the scene in a movie. And I guess, I guess we've now proven that you cannot talk about Field of Dreams without crying. I mean, that's just the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Right? Just yeah, the way it works. You know, what a great legacy. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you. I thank you for being on. I have to ask you, I mean, this is like mandatory question. You've got to ask, what's Costner like? You don't actually have to answer the question. <laughs> just, I had to well, get it in. Kevin has always been very nice to me. That uh, you know, he's he's he signs things for me. You know, when I have something for a charity, he'll he'll you know come forth. He's he's a great guy, and I you know what made that scene work so much. I think was I just admire Kevin. You know, and it was very appropriate for the movie. Like if if I was John Kinsella coming back to a field that my son had built for me to come back and play baseball to. I mean, how how proud, how how grateful would you be? to a son, particularly one that you had issues with, if they turned out to be this wonderful person who would go to the trouble of practically losing their farm to build you a baseball field, you know? And because I admired Kevin so much and what he's done in his career, it was very easy for me to get behind that part of really gratitude, you know? Like that's, you know, that scene is about saying, I love you and I'm grateful to you without having the, those words. So it comes out in want to have a catch. I'd like that. You know, that's yeah. the healing of that relationship. And that's what it, I, I think catch is, is very much like that. You know, we have a catch with our parents or our dads particularly because it's very hard to talk to them about anything that isn't, oh, how's work going or what's going on at school or, you know. And when we just throw the ball back and forth, it's, you know, I give to you by throwing the ball. I get from you when I receive the ball back from you and the words become irrelevant. It's just a transfer of love through a baseball. And that to me is another one of the beautiful things about that movie. It's pretty cool. The book is called, if you build it, a book about father's fate and field of dreams, where can we find it? Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can get a signed copy at my website, which is www.dwyerbrown.com. That's D-W-I-E-R. That's my grandmother's maiden name. That's my first name. <laughs> Another uh, legacy of my my uh, dad and, and his family. But awesome. yeah, I, I have signed copies on my book uh, on, online, or you can get them at Amazon. It's very easy. And, and um, yeah, I'm uh, yeah, I'm very excited if 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 your fans would uh, reach out and read the book. I think they'll like it. Oh, the, no question, no question, they will. Uh, as I said, if if you have a dad. You should read the book, regardless of the relationship you have with him, because there's just so much power in it. Um, and then finally, where can we find you? You know, social media. Are you active anywhere? Instagram, Twitter, any of those places? Yes, I am. It's all at, at Dwyer Brown. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Facebook. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm on all those things, all those formats. And um, I'm also on tour. So I've got my last two games of the season. But uh, I've been traveling the country and meeting people everywhere. So. Yeah. Yeah, we just yeah. missed you. I just noticed I was when I found out about the book. I went and looked, and you had been in Clearwater, um, oh, God, yeah. uh, at the the baseball stadium is a, a I don't know two miles from my house, and that was oh. so we just we happened to miss you just by a couple of months, and so we'll be looking. Maybe uh, the Threshers will have you back or something, and we'll get to see you sometime. That would be great, James. And then maybe awesome. I could ask you, Hey, James, want to have a catch? Oh, I, and I would like that. It's true. <laughs> hey, listen, thank you so much. I do appreciate you and, uh, and all the best. Good luck with the book.
Thank you so much, Matt. What a fantastic conversation and so many lessons. His, his life completely changed from a, a role in a movie, and he's learned so much from that. My takeaway is you can still talk to your dad. If your dad's with us or not with us, you can still talk with him. If you want to tell him you love him, you can tell him. If you need to forgive him about something, you can forgive him. And and if you have a great relationship with him, you can thank him. There, there's you know we. It's never too late. It's never too late because he said he's still with you inside of you, and maybe he's with you too outside of you. My dad's still here. I can go talk to him. I've got friends who their dad isn't here anymore, and yet you can still talk to him. And that's an important and valuable relationship. And as I said, I really enjoyed the book. I read it in one day, and it was so powerful. And I happen to have an extra autographed copy from Dwyer that I would like to give to one of you just for listening and enjoying it. And so here's what I'd like to do. Over the next week, uh, I'm going to just monitor and look and see, are, would, you, would you share a link to this podcast and tag us in it and let someone know why they should listen? You can do it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and just make sure you tag us in it at Positively Dad. And, and share the link with someone, tag us in it, and I'll just go through at the end of the week and, and we'll pick one, we'll draw one, and, and I'll send you a copy of the book that's autographed. You can read it, pass it on. It's a, it's a fantastic book. So again, all you do is just go onto your social media pages, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of them, doesn't really matter. Share a link to the to the podcast, and uh, which you can find at PositivelyDad.com, and then make sure you tag Positively Dad. That's how I'll know that you did it. So make sure you tag us in there. And, uh, and then next week, I'll draw a winner, and we'll send you a copy of the book. You know, I trust that you are getting value out of these conversations. We do these Dad Talks every Thursday. Every Monday, we release a, a conversation with an expert about something to help us grow as parents and as partners and as men. And, and on that podcast as well, my daughter Naomi, who's a second grader, she's on there with the Kids Corner, and it's always fun to hear what's going on in her mind. So I trust you're getting value out of these podcasts, and I thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. I think this one's really powerful. The relationships with our dads, you know, they're good, bad, or otherwise, uh, are important. And, and I think today we've, we've heard a lot about that. So I thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you soon. And let's see who can win the book. I'm excited to see how many of you share it with people that you know. Thanks again for listening to Positively Dad. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.